Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We have our first customer conference at Hypergrowth SF on November 18th. You can use my code BUILD99 for a discounted ticket at hypergrowth.drift.com. What's up? This is Maggie. Today, I want to revisit one of my very first episodes where I ranted about how backlogs are terrible and actually take the time to explain what it takes to delete your backlog in practice. Saying that we should delete our backlogs is super simple. It's admittedly a really easy way to grab attention, but I know it can seem totally impossible if you've never been in a system that works without one. I know because when I started at Drift, I had only worked on teams and in companies that operated with some kind of list of things that the team was supposed to build. So today, I'm going to cover what it really looks like to work without a traditional backlog, or at least one way to do so. But first, what I want to do is quickly recap what's wrong with working off of a backlog or, honestly, a feature-based roadmap. And of course, there are three reasons why backlogs, I think, are a bad idea. First, lists are always out of date. So backlogs are basically just lists of things to do. And because of that, they are really inflexible and they only represent your best understanding of the world at the time that you made them. So the second you make a backlog or the second that you go through a new agreement, it just starts becoming out of date pretty much immediately. Also, depending on who made the backlog, that understanding that you started with may not even be correct, in which case it's going to get out of date even faster. So, for example, if you're grooming a backlog and you haven't spoken to customers in a day, a week, maybe a month, my guess is that the underlying understanding that you have of the thing that you're trying to do isn't perfect, and that'll show up in your backlog and continue to get worse over time. So the second you make a backlog of specific features, it becomes out of date almost immediately in terms of what you've been learning about customers, what your teams are learning, what's happening in the market, and any opportunities that you have in front of you as time passes. Which brings me to the second problem. Backlogs can really easily turn into convenient excuses because having a backlog means that you don't have to really think critically about whether what you're working on right now is truly the most important thing to do now or the highest leverage thing you can be doing. I'm guessing that if you're a PM, you've probably said something like, well, you know, first I need to build X, Y, and Z. And then after that, we're definitely going to tackle your feature request or great idea. I'll totally put that on the backlog and we'll get to it in the next couple of cycles. You probably said this to someone on your team who's making a request, maybe to a customer. And the challenge with that is that those are typically just lies. So you're either lying to yourself about whether or not you're actually going to do it, or you're kind of lying to your stakeholder about whether or not you're actually going to work on that thing. Because chances are, whatever the request is, if it's not something that's already at the top of the backlog or something that you're actively working on, you're probably not going to work on it soon. And giving that person the expectation that you will consider or you will work on it is sort of misleading them. So you end up using your backlog as an excuse to avoid thinking about what they're asking about or what you're working on and avoid having a maybe harder conversation with that person about what you're building. Because I think instead what you can do is if you take the time to explain to that person why you are or aren't focused on that opportunity right now and give them some real context you can build stronger relationships with that person and help them understand what what really matters, right? You can say, hey, sorry, that's actually not what we're working on right now. We're working on this problem and we're hoping to drive this outcome for our customers. So if we were to switch and do that, we'd have to probably stop doing this other thing. Help me understand how you'd prioritize those two things to kind of have a good conversation with your stakeholders about those feature requests. So that brings me to the third and final thing that's challenging about backlogs. It's that they prevent you from striking while the iron is hot. 
Think about that example I just mentioned. If someone had come to you and said, hey, there's a really good idea, and you say, oh yeah, I'll totally put it on the backlog. Maybe that's a really, really important idea that you actually really should evaluate now, but because you have a backlog, you can't work on it. So if you have a list of features that you're working against, it makes you really inflexible to new ideas and new opportunities. But when you don't have one of those things, you're more free to evaluate new ideas and new opportunities that appear without feeling like you're stuck with all these commitments that you've already made to a bunch of people. An example from our team at Drift, we had a hackathon recently and a team had been focusing on a specific problem. They used their hackathon time to test out a proof of concept and they actually realized that this thing was a better way to solve for the problem and was probably going to be higher value for all of our customers. So they switched what they were doing, dropped what they were working on, and just switched to building this new thing. And they were able to do that because they didn't have a specific list of features that they had committed to. They had only committed to solving a problem. I think actually Ryan Singer and the Basecamp team kind of summed up these challenges of the backlogs really well in their book Shape Up when they said, backlogs are a big weight we don't need to carry. Dozens and eventually hundreds of tasks pile up that we all know we'll never have time for. The growing pile gives us a feeling like we're always behind, even though we're not. Just because somebody thought some idea was important a quarter ago doesn't mean we need to keep looking at it again and again. So backlogs are pretty much always out of date. They turn into convenient excuses and they prevent you from jumping on really important opportunities when they come around. So let's say you're convinced, you know that they're bad and you want to switch. So now what? How can you operate as part of a business without them? So I'm going to take you through how we do to drift and then cover some common questions and challenges that people have had to this model. And first off, I want to make the point that no roadmaps doesn't mean no planning. It doesn't mean that the teams are just sort of randomly working on whatever they want. In a no roadmap or no backlog world, planning turns into setting missions, not picking features. So at drift specifically, we do quarterly planning. But our plan, again, is not a list of features whose estimates fit into the sort of time allotted for the quarter. Instead, what we do is we focus on figuring out what customer problems we want to solve. We prioritize those problems or those opportunities for a given quarter. And this cascades, kind of like OKRs, from the business level, so the business outcomes we're looking for, all the way down to the individual teams. So as a product lead, I know exactly what the focus is for the quarter for the teams that I'm a part of. So what problems we need to solve as a group. But what I don't know is exactly how the teams will get there at the start of the quarter. The teams do. And that's because they're the ones who are closest to the customer on their specific area. So again, at the beginning of the quarter, the team will set goals around those problems. And they'll figure out how they're going to measure whether or not they've solved for them. And that becomes how we track our progress through the quarter. So that's focused on outcomes delivered for customers. That's what we measure and what we're looking for. And not on whether we've shipped a bunch of features. Because, and this is really important, you can ship a bunch of features and still not create any value for your customers. If you're just measuring yourself on how far through your backlog you got and how well you sort of executed against that feature list, that's a proxy metric that doesn't necessarily mean you're driving any value for your customers or your business. So we also make these goals 100% public for everyone in the company to see and make sure that we're tracking our progress publicly as we go. So it's always clear what we're working on and just as importantly, why we're working on it. When we think about goals, we think really hard about the goal statements to make sure that it's clear to someone who's reading it why that goal matters and why we're working on it and then why we've picked whatever KPI we've picked to measure and if we've achieved it. 
So to recap, we replace the backlog or the feature-based roadmap with a set of problems to solve paired with a way to know whether we've solved those problems, which is our metrics. Then as we move through the quarter, every other week or so, we report out on what we've learned, where we are, and any impact we've had on those metrics that we've picked. So this means that when a good idea comes along that's going to help us solve for those problems that are most critical for our customers and our business, we can jump on them without fear because we have basically nothing holding us back. We're not accountable for specific features. We're accountable for solving problems. This does, however, I want to point out, rely on us getting that problem set right. So assuming that we've prioritized problems effectively, this all really works well. But if we, it's of course possible that we'll learn something that turns out we got those problems wrong and there's something higher value. So we've also built into our process a way for us to say, hey, we learned this new thing. It turns out that goal isn't actually the most important thing and we want to switch. So that's something that culturally and kind of process-wise on our product team, we've made sure that we can do that helps us make sure that we get things right. So again, it's all about replacing that feature backlog or just list of things that you're supposed to ship with a list of problems that you want to solve. And again, it's not even usually really a list for a specific product team. Usually for a quarter, they have one big problem that they want to focus on, one metric that they want to drive, one outcome that they want to create for a customer. That means they can be really, really focused, really specific, and get really, really deep on that problem. So that's all well and good. I know you probably still have a bunch of questions and sort of objections to how this works. So I'm going to go through the top five objections I've heard about why this model doesn't work and try to give an answer on how we've seen it work in practice. So the first one is, if I don't have a backlog, the team's not going to know what to do next. So this is, I think, a bigger question than just having a backlog, because I think if you're working in a cross-functional team, so product design, engineering, all in the room together, and if that whole team is involved in understanding the problem and doing discovery work to get to a solution, the team is going to be well set to figure out what they need to do to kind of move the needle forward if they've shipped one thing. And if the team can't figure out what to do next, that means that you probably haven't properly communicated the mission that they're working against and the problem that they want to solve. Because a good mission explanation and a crisp problem definition with a good KPI means that the teams can kind of self-organize to figure out what they should do next. If they've solved the problem, then they can just go right back to the start, remap their problem space, do another user journey, reevaluate the opportunities, and kind of continue to go. Second objection. Without a backlog, I don't have anywhere to put and track feature requests that I get from customer success, from sales, from customers, etc. So this is probably one of the things that I had the biggest or the most trouble with, and that's that if it's a good idea, it's going to come up again. You don't actually have to write down every single good idea that you come across. The good ones always come back. And again, I know that's kind of, you might not believe me, but it's true. When I first started Drift, I definitely kept a side list just in case, but it was true. The most important things always bubbled up to the top. One thing I will say is that it's fair game to count the number of times specific requests come up. And we do have a couple of ways that we bubble up sort of the top things that we're hearing from our customers or our customer advocates, because we want to make sure that we're taking into their perspective into account because they're very close to customers. But again, we don't keep a sort of big backlog that we promise that we're going to work against because we want to be flexible. So again, maybe try to understand how often things come up and then dig kind of a a level deeper and understand why those things are coming up. But what I would say is that you don't need a backlog to track feature requests. Third objection. 
Without a feature roadmap, I won't be able to communicate what I'm working on and what's next to the people above me. So this comes up really frequently if someone says, well, someone wants to know what we're working on, what we're going to do next. And if I can't point to specifically what I'm going to build, I won't be able to communicate that. So in the same way that you might point to a feature that you're going to build, you can point to the opportunity that you're working towards, the problem that you want to solve, and what solving that opportunity is going to do for your business, for your metrics, or for your customers' results. This probably takes a little bit of extra work on your part. It's a lot easier to say, oh, we're going to ship feature A, B, and C. And if the person you're talking to kind of understands your product, they might more immediately understand the value that they're going to get out of it. But it's much more powerful to say, hey, we're going to solve this problem for our customers and it's going to allow them to achieve this outcome. And maybe if the person is still sort of skeptical or having trouble understanding what you mean, you can use concept designs. So that's a good way to put together kind of a good opportunity to put together directional visuals that are going to help you explain the problem and possible solutions you have to maybe your executives without committing to building something specific. So it could be a good way to say, hey, check out the sketch of the future, kind of where we think we're heading. We may not build any of this, but this is based on our current understanding what we think we might do in the future. And oftentimes, if you've done a good job of explaining the problem, all the insights that have led you to the place that you are, how you understand the customer journey and what they're doing, and then you pair that with some concept visuals, you'll build the trust that you need with that executive team to give you the room to kind of finish what you're doing. Another option is if you're trying to convince people of something or convince them that a, solving this problem is going to be a really great idea, you could do you could take your concept designs a step further and kind of turn them into sizzle reels. That's something that we've used to sort of paint a picture of the future and how awesome it's going to be. All right, fourth objection. And this is a tricky one. Enterprise customers want to know what I'm building. I have to have a roadmap. So again, this is pretty tricky. There are absolutely situations in which contractually you have to build something, in which case you just have to build it and that's what you're doing. And it's totally fine to say, hey, we have to build these three things. That's what we're doing. So just use your, you know, obviously using common sense and talking about what you're working on, that's fine. But for situations where they're asking for a roadmap, again, I would challenge you to explain to your customers what you're working on and why in the same way that you would do that internally. Your customers are probably really smart. They probably have product teams. They may even be on a product team. They're going to understand the trade-offs that you're making and why you're doing what you're doing, especially if you do a good job of communicating which of their problems you're solving for and the impact that you're going to have on their business. Because again, if you started by prioritizing the customer problems you want to solve for, then when the customers ask you what you're working on, you can go up to them and say, hey, we're going to work on solving these three problems for you, which should allow you to get these three outcomes. You know, how does that sound in terms of what you're looking for for your business? Pretty much every time I've done that, the customers come back and said, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, I really, this other problem really matters to me, but I understand that those other things are more important. So again, it becomes a little bit more challenging and you might have to do a little bit more work to explain why what you're doing matters and what they can expect out of you. But again, if you just have that that human-to-human conversation, you can get you can kind of get past a lot of these assumptions that someone needs to know legitimately exactly what you're shipping every single day. All right, last objection is I need to keep a backlog of technical debt. So I admit there are probably teams out there with lists, even here at Drift, where they kind of look at. I definitely have a list of things that I want to keep my eye on that I keep around for inspiration. But I think specifically when we're talking about tech debt, there's almost always some kind of customer value that can be unlocked through solving for it. 
easy examples are reliability and performance and work that kind of improves both of those things. So I would urge you to think about tech debt in terms of customer problems to solve in the same way that you would with maybe a net new feature. So then you can think about, okay, what's most important for my customer is faster performance on my products going to get them more outcomes. Is that going to get them a better outcome than maybe a new feature? If so, let's work on performance. Same thing with reliability. If we have a problem with uptime, make sure we're working on that because maybe you have a customer promise that you need to have a certain kind of uptime. That's really, really important. It's a customer outcome. You can absolutely prioritize that against features. So again, focus on the outcome for the customer and think about how doing that technical work is going to set you up to create those outcomes in the future. And again, Somebody somewhere probably has a list of the different things that we need to do. That's totally fine because it's not a centralized backlog that we're constantly grooming that's taking time and attention away from what we're working on. Like I mentioned, I have a swipe file of good ideas that I kind of look at for inspiration. I'm sure engineering managers and directors have lists and ideas of things that they definitely want to tackle or that we're going to need to tackle at some point. But that kind of happens outside of the team's overall process. And again, allows each team to stay super focused on the customer problem that they're solving for today. So that's it. That's how it works. Again, I feel like I've said this a million times, but you have to just focus on outcomes, on the problems you want to solve, on the mission. And then you have to just let the teams figure out what they're going to do and help them avoid getting bogged down by lists. They get out of date. They're not always relevant. They become really convenient excuses. They prevent you from being flexible and responsive. And of course, it wouldn't be uh, Seeking Wisdom Hypergrowth Network podcast without books to read. So I have three. First one is The One Thing. This is something that everyone gets a copy of. Everybody at Drift gets a copy of when they join. And it's a really helpful framework. I know it's about sort of your personal life and your personal to-do list, but it's a really great framework to think about, all right, if I have to just remove everything off my list, what's the one important thing I should do? And I think that's a really useful way to think about, again, your backlog. Second, this is kind of a silly one, but the life-changing magic of tidying up definitely applies to the backlog. I would venture a guess that most of our backlogs aren't sparking joy for us. So think about how you probably don't need that and just get rid of it. And the last one I'll suggest is called The Miracle of Mindfulness by Tignat Han. He's a Buddhist monk. And I think it's really a great time to think about impermanence and just being okay with letting go of things. So if you're str- if you're a typical PM and maybe you're struggling with that, I highly suggest that book. It's amazing. And that's it. Just try it out. I think one suggestion I heard from someone was that they made a new Jira board and just didn't copy anything over as a way to kind of safely get rid of their backlog just to see what happens. I honestly occasionally will delete my entire notes app just to make sure that what I'm working on is really the most important thing because, again, those important ideas are going to come back. And just remember, don't use your backlogs and roadmaps as a crutch. Do the work to tell the story of why what you're doing matters and help the people around you understand what you're working on. They're probably going to bring you better suggestions and ideas next time anyway. So that's it. Leave me a review. Let me know what you think. Would love to hear if anyone tried any of this, if you deleted your backlog successfully, or maybe even just as an experiment. That would be awesome. Thanks. 